And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read, but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. I'm Maggie. Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club, where this week we are finishing off The Passion of Mary Magdalene by Elizabeth Cunningham, Harmony's favorite book of all time. Harmony, how do you feel upon reread? It's complete. It's wonderful. You're laughing at me. I don't know why. You just really took charge there in a way I wasn't expecting. (laughs) I feel I feel good. Uh, I feel very spiritual. You know, I'm really connected with Maeve again. And yeah, I like Jesus, maybe. I had some problems, some more problems with Jesus reading this time around. And I have a lot of questions for people who have like actually read the Bible and not just the Wikipedia or the comic book Lego version like I have. So... (laughs) (laughs) kind of where I'm at. What about you, Maggie? Oh, I should have wikipedia to the Bible before this. That would have made me so much better in this book. Um, <laughs> oh, God. I enjoyed it. I, I, like, I really liked it. I think more than I was anticipating liking it, which I think I mentioned uh, in the first episode, but, like, all the way through, for me, this was a really solid read. I agree with you that I don't really know how I felt about Jesus in the end. I think that was kind of intentional, though, right? Like, so much of this is about humanizing people who have been deified and making you see them just as humans. And I think that that theme especially came out in this third section. Maeve spends so much time watching people treat Jesus like the one and then starts to really actively question where he's whether he's active where he, whether he's actually the one or if he's only the one because people have decided that he is and i think that that's a really interesting line of questioning generally speaking but especially in this context and i appreciated the fact that there were moments that i didn't like mave and there was moments where i didn't like jesus and yeah i don't know it did get it felt very high drama at some points which is not usually my cup of tea, but with these characters, I think made a lot of sense. I think the one complaint I would have almost, which is hilarious because this is a long book, but I feel like we spent a lot of time at the beginning of the book really sort of breaking down a lot of aspects of history and spending a lot of time understanding Maeve's day-to-day life. And it was almost like the more we got into the book, the less time we spent doing those things. So by the end of the book, events were happening at like breakneck speed. And it's not even that Maeve didn't have time to process them. It's that not even the reader really had time to process what was happening. And I'm sure that that was partially to reflect reality where when shit starts going south, essentially... I think it can really feel like it goes at such a speed that 
it's almost faded and there's nothing you can do to stop it. But it was disconcerting, I think, given the pace the first half of the book took. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad that this is it for Jesus, I guess. Not to, like, be blasphemous or anything, but I find Maeve's story much more compelling and, like, dig it more. But this isn't a review podcast, so that's beside the point. But yeah, I agree. When the Bible stuff came in, I feel like the author was much more restricted in what she could write. And I think that because we had spent so much time building up Maeve as a character, it meant that we did have to really compress everything where Jesus was involved. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that all makes a lot of sense, right? As as you're saying, she's dealing with source material here. There's only so much she can, I think, probably alter things and take liberties with things yeah especially when dealing with the bible but i think it made the pacing feel just a little bit off to me and i agree with you i do find Maeve to be a much more compelling character without jesus which i think says something (laughs) uh not even necessarily about Maeve and jesus as people but you know potentially more broadly about relationships between romantic relationships especially between people and how all-consuming they can be in ways that we don't even truly understand as they're happening to us but yeah those are I think my my general thoughts about it okay I think we need to do a summary and I feel like you're way better at those than I am would you feel (laughs) would you do the honors I mean I can try so this third of the book I mean, this third of the book essentially kicks off the story of Jesus that you really know in the Bible. Um, Maeve and Jesus get married pretty early on in this section, and they have hella marital problems. And Maeve ends up going with Jesus and the disciples as Jesus is doing his work. So she leaves Temple Magdalene, and she has a lot of really tangled feelings about becoming a wife and leaving the temple and whether that was right for her or if she was just doing it because Jesus wanted her to. Jesus goes around performing miracles and essentially ruffling feathers. Some of his miracles go over really well and a lot of them, especially kind of the last straw was raising the dead, did not go over very well. And he makes himself a lot of enemies and then is put on trial and crucified. I know that that's a really oversimplified version of what happens here, but if you think about the story of Jesus Christ as you know it, that's the events we chronicle in this half of in this section of the book from Maeve's perspective. I think some of the more interesting things that happen in this section have no, like you were saying have nothing to do with Jesus and are more about Maeve getting a chance to really be introspective about her life and her faith and her magic and power and what's important to her because she now that she's finally with Jesus again and they're married and and you know a really traditional couple in some ways and very untraditional in others especially compared to marital standards at this time Maeve really comes to the realization that 
Jesus is a huge part of her life, but he'd been driving her whole reason for existence for a really long time. And now she needs other things. And there's a really powerful scene in which Jesus uh, burns down a fig tree. And that's sort of the breaking point for Maeve. I mean, she leaves him. She commits adultery, which, like, commits adultery. It's a whole thing. Um, And ultimately finding forgiveness for that act takes kind of a long time. Also kind of not that long of a time because his life is under threat. But it's also really, I think, the moment where she realizes that she's let part of herself go and part of what was important to her go. Mm -hmm. And that she needs to find a better way to love Jesus and also live her life than what she was doing. But then again, all of that gets derailed as Jesus is put on trial and crucified. But I think it leaves you at the end of the book feeling really hopeful, not just because uh, Jesus is you know, doing his Holy Ghost thing and being actually a part of God and is therefore kind of able to be felt everywhere, especially for Maeve, but also because she has purpose outside of just finding him and locating him and being with him that I don't think she realized she was missing at the beginning of the book. I agree entirely, and I want to get into that a little bit more in a little bit. But first, I want to continue on a conversation that we had last episode which is the concept of feet because Maggie you asked me about feet last time and then I asked I, you about feet it's it, it comes up a lot feet come up a lot and I really couldn't get away from that question as I read it this time so like now that you have read this this book actually first of all before we do anything let's go back to to the very very beginning what is Mary Magdalene known for do you know now I'll give you a hint. Easter just happened last week. Resurrecting Jesus? She's known for being the person that Jesus appears to. He's, oh. she's, yeah, she is the person. So that's why Mary Magdalene's a saint. But now, let's talk about feet. Because let's talk about feet. I'm yeah, sorry they haunted back. you this week. No, it's good. It really, it really made me like, I feel like I've got this book figured out because of your question about feet. So do you have any more thoughts now that you've read more of the book and have seen how uh, feet come into play and have more context about like Jesus washing his disciples feet and the way that feet and anointment works? What, what are your thoughts? I think that. So the, the biggest thing where feet came back and I was like, aha, toesies um, <laughs> was when Maeve, everyone around Jesus essentially is watching chaos happen and knows that something big and bad is about to happen to Jesus. And Jesus has sort of accepted the fact that he's going to die and everyone else has kind of not accepted that, which I think is often what happens when somebody you love is like, this is my time. I must go. And Maeve goes to Miriam, Jesus's mother. And Miriam gives Maeve, um, one of her wedding gifts so that Maeve can anoint Jesus's feet. And as she's anointing his feet, she thinks about the fact that his feet are like, in some ways, such a symbol of him and how she thinks about his feet when she thinks about him. And I think that aside from some of the religious, like the, the clear biblical religious symbolism that was happening there, 
there was also this sense of feet are the place where you connect to the earth and therefore connect to sort of everything and everyone else. And feet are the things that take you places and the places you go and the people you meet influence you and create who you are. And I think it also, to me, really metaphorically ended up talking about the paths that we all walk. And I mean, Jesus's path is one that's holy, but so is Maeve's. And I think that there's something to be said there that potentially, as we are all walking our own path and living our own journey, there's something deeply like spiritual and holy about that. And connecting to the earth and to each other is related to all of this. Um, and I don't know where I fall on that, I guess, like opinion wise as a philosophy, but I, I think that that's what the book was trying to say. And I think that there's something really beautiful about that. I agree completely. I just snap snaps for Maggie. Yeah. Cause your question about feet really made me think about like who Maeve is as a character, right? In this book, in this world, in Israel during this time. And Maeve is a barbarian. She's a whore. She's, like, supposed to be savage and uncivilized. And her deities are often savage and uncivilized. And going back to the conversation we had last time, like, Maeve's whole religion is based off of passion and desire, which are kind of looked down upon, right? But what she is able to do in this story, and what I think Elizabeth Cunningham tries to paint Christianity's, like, ultimate message as being is like she's able to frame to Jesus that like love is the most important thing and it's not it's not a base emotion right like it, it can be base but being base isn't bad and that's what Maeve is like she is base just like feet she is of the earth she is not this like high and mighty person and that's where her power is drawn from is being someone who is earthly and Jesus keeps on talking this whole time about, like, your paradise is here, which I do think is a direct quote from the Bible. Like, it's repeated so much that I would be surprised if it wasn't. The way that Elizabeth Cunningham is presenting this to us is him telling people that Earth is their paradise, right? There is no heaven. Like, this is it. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of what comes out again about the fig tree, right, is that Jesus has this moment where he... He realizes at least partially why Maeve was so upset about the fig tree. The fig tree represents womanhood to her in many ways, and it represents kind of this base of her religion and the fact that he would dare to desecrate what's holy to her while she is kind of being cajoled along to send out his holy message was to her unforgivable and deeply fucked up, uh, which I feel, but his takeaway from it was this idea that he's been preaching that paradise is here and then had the audacity to like smite part of paradise, which I think was also interesting because Maeve and Jesus didn't really understand each other very much. Um, they loved each other and they tried their best to support each other. I think especially Maeve onto him, but they did not follow the same like a lot of the same basic ideas about how what life is like and how love should work and who to worship and things like that in a way that ultimately ended up keeping them apart 
a lot of the time. I think too, just to give one more thought about the feet thing, and maybe this is obvious, but Maeve becomes the person who actually takes in undesirable and untouchable people like whores, um, like uh, people who have been scorned for many reasons. And Jesus does too, to a certain extent, but Maeve ta and the Temple Magdalene take in people that even Jesus doesn't want there. Like Susanna. Susanna joins up with the group, essentially, and Jesus doesn't really see a place for her and tries to deposit her at Temple Magdalene. And then after having a heart-to-heart, -heart, Maeve is like, no, she's going to come with us. And Jesus is like, what? Why? And Maeve is like, no, she's with me. Don't worry about it. Like, just let this happen. And I mean, he does, but... Maeve is the person who actually takes in all of these people that society doesn't want and nurtures them and heals them. It even happens really with Miriam to a certain extent because Miriam is not talked about very kindly in the community that she lives in. And Maeve takes her into to Temple Magdalene in the last section and washes her feet. And feet are such an, it's, I think it goes beyond the idea of humility because we have such an aversion to feet. And they are so considered to be, they're taboo if you do like them because they're considered to be that untouchable, undesirable. And Maeve just really accepts people as they are, as they come, and genuinely doesn't try and change them. Whereas Jesus's whole thing is to change people and to have them see it, the world in a different way. And I don't think that the book really condemns either of those things because I think that there are moments in life where you do need to change and you do need to be shown a different way to do things. But I think it does suggest that both you need spaces for both. You need spaces where you can come as you are and be accepted and you need spaces where you can be shown a different way of doing things and a different way of thinking about the world. Because to, to stay stagnant is bad, but also to change constantly and feel forced to change and like who you are isn't acceptable is also not a good feeling. That's very interesting, Maggie. So there are many things that you said there that I want to pull apart, but it's hard to focus. So <laughs> let's stick to this one. You're, you talked a little bit about how Maeve and Jesus don't have the same values and how Maeve ends up being able to practice what Jesus preaches, I, I feel like, a, a lot more than he does. And to me, this is really a direct result of their different powers, like, like of their different power and placement within the societal context. Because Maeve is an outsider, right? Like, I don't know if she would be quite as willing and quite as graceful to all of these different people without the societal context that she had and when she was like literally enslaved and you know cast out of her home and had to work as a prostitute like she's been forced to really humble herself because like jesus she grew up thinking that she came from the divine um and jesus even though he is undoubtedly a radical in his society, right? Like, he is really shaking things up, arguably for the better, in terms of what he's preaching. He has a certain level of privilege just by, like, 
being a Jewish man in his society and being smart. And I mean, like the man part, especially, which I'm sure we'll get into later, but also like he is very much the ultimate insider. He's, he's reached that point, right? Because he's the king of the people. He becomes the king of the people. Whereas Maeve is like the ultimate outsider. But I don't think, aside from like, him kind of believing there's only one God, because he says that, or he doesn't, Maeve says that, he said that when he they first met. I don't think he actually says that in this book. I think he has like some respect for other deities, even if he doesn't necessarily believe in them for some reason, because he sees other deities all the time. Other like female goddess deities, right? I think that like ultimately what they're going for, aside from Maeve not like wanting to change things necessarily, is the same. And like Maeve is serves as like Jesus's compass sometimes to help him figure out how to go about his mission, which is to to give love to the world, right? Yeah, I think that it's not that I don't think they had the same values. I think they did have the same values. They had wildly different ways of dealing with those values and expressing those values. And a lot of the time, I I mean, we're in Maeve's head, so of course this is all extra subjective, but like Maeve did it better. And I think that this was interesting for a couple of reasons, because I guess circling back to the beginning of the episode, there's also this sense that Jesus isn't infallible, which on the one hand I think is really useful. On the other hand, really plays into the patriarchy because he's getting all the credit when Maeve is in fact doing a lot of the emotional labor and work. And then also like other parts of the physical work, like Jesus sort of needs her quote unquote, sometimes to play the good wife. And she does sometimes willingly, sometimes not unwillingly, but she's the one getting out wine and cheese and doing all of this stuff. And she's the one being hospitable as Jesus is sort of holding court, so to speak. And I think that they're compatible ultimately because they want the same things, but their methodology for going about achieving them is wildly different. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that sexism definitely was a conscious threat. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Throughout. And I think that the author is positioning that as at the very least why we get Christian values today in the way that they are presented. I don't know. Let's talk a little bit about the fig tree, because you were talking about that, too. And you were talking also about the bread and wine. And I think the reason Jesus, like, ends up so mad at Maeve that we really never get to unpack, because they never unpack it together, is because she uses his words against him to say that he needs to, like, start picking, because he he fails to recognize a, a kind of nuanced argument for sexism that's going on, in which Mary B isn't helping all the other women at this great party. And Martha's like, why is my sister sitting there doing nothing? If Jesus tells Mary B to go do something, then that means that she's not a disciple, right? Because none of the other disciples are doing that. So he says that essentially she's allowed to do whatever she wants. And Maeve sees that and is like, whoa, you're really undervaluing woman here. And so she's like, well, then you need to start serving people. And literally like a song and dance 
brings up. It, it's like gospel music starts happening, <laughs> which is fun. Anyway, so gospel music starts happening. And then Jesus does not talk to her for several days, like an asshole. And we never learned why, really. It's just kind of like implied maybe that he's jealous or he doesn't like that she's using his words against him. And that's why the smiting of the tree happens. What are your thoughts on that? Like, why? Why do you think? Why? I don't know, because I feel like the smiting of the tree is important because it's symbolic of Maeve, not just because Maeve is of the earth, but because it's not bearing fruit. And Maeve's whole idea is that, like, it doesn't matter if something is bearing fruit. It is all deserving of your love. And that's, like, what you're preaching. And that's why I love you. And Jesus is, like, so in his emotions and toxic masculinity that he's not able to see that at in the moment. I think that that's like the key to it is that he's so in his, he's, he's so ingrained in hierarchy and what wives should and shouldn't do. And he says that he's accepting of Maeve being her own person and doing her own things. And I will say that at most of the time, I would say his actions support that, but there's moments like this one specifically where he chafes against what a wife should and shouldn't do. I think it's not even just that she's throwing his words in his face. It's that she's daring to defy him in public at all, because that's something that they chafe up against multiple times in smaller ways, sort of leading up to this mm -hmm. is that Jesus is for better or for worse, essentially trying or painting himself as all-knowing and kind of constantly correct as the son of god and i don't think that that was how his journey starts but it is how it ends yeah and mave refusing to accept that and just kind of do what she's told and allow his word to be law and then argue with him later is like this last straw for him and his little like toxic masculine temper tantrum almost and, and you're right, they don't ever get to unpack it because, like, three days later, he's dead. So they have this moment where they make up, but they never actually talk about it. And to me, I think that that's one of the ways that really showed me that their values are the same, but they are very, very different humans. And I think that Jesus really struggles with the fact that Maeve is Maeve sometimes and that she is an equally powerful person who can do what she wants and believes her own set of things and the scene that comes to mind as I'm thinking about this is one where they're like in the middle of having a fucking fight and she's questioning him kind of about the same themes and she says something like, isn't that why we're here? Isn't that our cause? Isn't that why, like, what we're trying to spread? And he gets really derailed because he's like, you said we. And he feels, I think, explicitly supported, I guess, in that sense for the first time as Maeve not necessarily just being somebody who's, like, along for the ride here, but is actually supportive of what he's doing. But it seems to me that that whole thing is just indicative of the fact that he's actually uncomfortable with the idea that she has all of this stuff that's all her own and she's a priestess of Isis 
and she's got her own magic. And there's moments where he's trying to control her magic, too. There's not a lot of them, but they're all leaving together in a boat, and everybody's drunk as fuck, and Maeve's got this, like, squall going on, and he snaps at her, partially, I think, as, as like, a sober person, but partially just out of annoyance, because he's like, what kind of weather witch are you? Like, there's three people puking over there. Knock it the fuck off with the winds. And... In the one, like, in in the moment, that was a funny scene, honestly, because everyone was such a mess, and Peter was, like, fucking drunk off his tits, like, it was a whole thing. (laughs) But looking back on it, whenever Maeve displayed her own power, her own intellect, her own thought process, Jesus chafed up against that. Yeah, it's weird, because I guess maybe in part because I read this book so young, like, I kind of see Jesus in a lot of ways as not being that typical, like, masculine archetype. And in a lot of ways, he isn't. And a lot of ways, I do think he loves Maeve because she is everything that she is. And he does see her, I think, as being all of that. But in that moment, to me, it sort of felt like his anger was that she could at any point become him. That if she wanted, she could be this person, this holy prophet, and she has chosen not to. And it takes away from his, like, idea that he is special, and also he has dedicated his entire life to this cause. And it goes back to what you were saying, like, is he actually the prophet, or is he just, like, positioning himself to this, for this? And that's why he ends up dying, which I think is the big thing and what he's struggling with, because he already knows that he's going to die, but, like, that's... You know, that's the cause of his moodiness, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I agree with you. I don't think that he's necessarily, like, this archetype of terrible, toxic masculinity. I think he does lots of things in this book that are truly progressive, and he does love Maeve, and he does see her. I think that part of it is that, again, it's really hard to escape your societal conditioning. And Jesus was raised in a society where wives were quiet and obedient, and that was what they did. I think, too, something that... A journey I saw Jesus take through this book is, because you said that he positioned himself as the prophet. And again, I think towards the end, especially in the fight leading up to the fig tree, that's true. But it wasn't in the beginning. Other people positioned him as the prophet. Other people pushed him into this. And I think the difference between Maeve and Jesus is that Maeve was able to resist the push of other people to determine her fate and did it herself. And Jesus succumbed to the push of other people and just decided that that must be God's will. He pushes up against the idea of fate at all, which Maeve points out makes like zero sense given the religion he's preaching, which I thought was funny because I I agree. But there was a real sense of which Jesus had this almost privileged take of, well, everyone's saying it's true, so it must be true, so therefore I'm going to take up this mantle and follow this fate. And Maeve had a much different thought process of, I could take up this mantle, but I don't, I want to make my own path and carve my own path, and I don't have to be a prophet if I don't want to be. Yeah, I think the other thing to be fair to is that, like, Maeve couldn't be a prophet in this society, at least, or even in Rome, in the way that Jesus is, because Maeve is too marginalized. So, like, yes, she's able to be a priestess of Isis. She's able to speak. She's able to embody the goddess. But even if she, even if she, like, did lean hard into that, she would never accrue the mass, 
the massive followers that Jesus did because she's too othered. She couldn't be be Jesus even if she wanted to be. I want to talk a little bit more. Can we talk about, you said something early in the episode about not liking Maeve. And I was confused because there was never, even as an adulteress, I was like, nah. Jesus is in the wrong, and why the fuck did he not follow her? Why the fuck did he not run after her or look for her? And I want to um, know your take on that. <laughs> oh, that wasn't the point where I where I disliked Maeve. The point, honestly, part of the time when I disliked Maeve, maybe dislike was the wrong word, but like disagreed with Maeve was when she let, uh, not let herself, when she decided to get married at all with all of her doubts and all of her reservations about not wanting to be married Mm. i get ultimately why she made that decision but i had a really hard time connecting with it given what she was thinking and what she was saying and i think i had hoped that the story was gonna go a slightly different way and then i ended up being pleasantly surprised because as a wife she didn't just kind of roll over and take jesus's shit but I think that she was justified in her reaction to everything that happened at the fig tree. Um, And I think that if there was ever a moment where I was like, Jesus, girl, why are you doing this? Afterwards, it was when she forgave him so quickly. But I also kind of get that, you know, like, I think that there's a real when you're in a romantic relationship and you have a really big fight and you're scared that you're going to lose somebody and you've decided that you don't want that outcome. Like it sucks, but I'll, I, I think a lot of people's natural reaction is to forgive all sins and then work backwards from there just to make sure that like the sanctity of your relationship is okay. And they just never had time to walk backwards. Cause then he died. <laughs> so. Yeah. So that, that scene for me, the scene where they're forgiving, was hard for me to read because I had a similar sort of take as you, which was like, why are you the one prostrating yourself, right? Like, why? He he was the one that wasn't talking to you. He's the one who struck down the, the tree. And, and he never, like, he hasn't gone out of his way to atone for his sins. And I really had to question that right because everything in this book does seem pretty purposeful and i feel like it is i feel like spoiler alert i feel like it's a feminist book (laughs) um and i think that what the author may have been trying to do is say something larger about forgiveness and about love because For me, it's like a, no, he has to, like, prove himself to you sort of thing. He doesn't deserve you. And for Maeve, it's like, this is my person, and I love him. And you know what? It doesn't matter, like, who threw the first punch. I did something wrong, and I'm going to let him know. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, to a certain extent, it's, it's almost another example of the fact that she practices what he preaches more easily. Because they both, after that fight, they both go out of their way to hurt each other. Like, she goes out and decides to become a two-bit whore, essentially, as she calls it. 
specifically to hurt him. Like, it really wasn't for her. It was because she knew, given his cultural and societal context about adultery, that that action would do the, yeah, would do the most damage. Um, which, to be fair, like, is not a healthy way to react to a fight. But I, I'm with you, girl. I'm with you. I think that the reason she's able to give forgive first is because she's actually the forgiving one. And it's really hard to forgive, and Jesus struggles with it. So I think that sometimes something I struggle with in this book is like... <sighs> and I, I know that Elizabeth Cunningham, to a certain extent, now really views Maeve and Mary kind of as her deity to a certain extent. Um, but I think that sometimes in making Jesus seem more human... Maeve ends up taking sort of that deified place, which isn't to say that she doesn't make mistakes, but there's definitely moments, I, to me as a reader at the very least, that feel like she's going to do the right thing first because she's the real deity here, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I do wonder how that potentially affects the feminist message of the book a little bit, just because people aren't deities <laughs> and these are supposed to be humans at this point in the book, at the very least, even if they are magic. And Maeve always eventually, and usually relatively quickly, comes to the gracious and forgiving stance. I think the only exception with that is Paulina, and it took her years and years and years and years to forgive Paulina, but I think the fact that she forgave and befriended the woman who enslaved her brutally at all is a feat that most people probably couldn't and frankly shouldn't maybe manage so I don't know I don't know if I have any more like intelligent thoughts about that line but it did come up to me especially at the end of like we are humanizing Jesus here as we are simultaneously kind of raising Maeve up to that more deified status and that's not an inherently bad thing but I don't know how much I jive with that messaging. I think that's more an operation of like Maeve being a Mary Sue. And because I think, I I don't know, I haven't like read all of Elizabeth Cunningham's blog posts, but I think that she feels a great affinity for Maeve. And I think that's just like something we do sometimes when we have like these fabulous alter egos and we can control them in whatever ways we want. Like we want them to make the right decisions. Like I think that might be more of like a fantasy thing for the author than a commentary on like her being deity. Cause I think that the point is that yes, Maeve is deity, but yes, we all have the potential to be deity as well. And I think that by positioning Maeve as a whore and by positioning her as somebody who is like so feisty and so very base, right? In the beginning of the book, the first scene, she's farting on this slave guy, right? Like, like Maeve is a gritty character in a lot of ways. And I think that's supposed to be what humanizes her for us, even if the writing choices don't always do a great job of like making her make mistakes. Because yeah. she does make them, but she does, yeah, she atones for them pretty quickly. Yeah, I get you. I, I guess just reading from a critical lens, I think that the author then ends up sometimes undermining her own messaging in service of some of that, you know, fantasy, which isn't, again, like an inherently bad thing, but it does 
I think, muddle a little bit of what she was trying to do here. I see it mostly in this last third of the book. But again, I think that the last third of the book was potentially the weakest overall because things were happening at such a breakneck speed. There was no time really for like true character development. It was really just action and reaction the whole time. And that's compelling in some circumstances, but I wish we had a little bit more introspection from our characters. So just like a couple more pages. And I think that this is separate from the trauma conversation we had in the first episode because this isn't really trauma processing not in the same way this is just stuff is happening like actions are happening at such a breakneck speed that you don't get a moment to breathe as a reader and even though Maeve wasn't processing her trauma in the first two-thirds of the book we did get a lot more of her thoughts and feelings on things and introspection yeah I agree I think part of that too, though, is because that conversation that we were having earlier is that, like, Maeve takes a back seat in this one. She becomes, she loses herself by being wife to Jesus, which is a part yeah. of your critique. I don't know that it's part of my critique. I think it was just something I noticed and it was empowering ultimately for me to see her break away from that mentality and makes me more eager to read the next book like I, I I think it would be a critique if it felt like it was without purpose but to me it had purpose to Maeve as growing as a character do you think that's something that humanizes her because it, it, it is hard for me it's hard for me as a like 21st century feminist right to empathize with that but also at the same time it's like such it's something I can empathize a lot as with as somebody who has been in relationships with heterosexual men and therefore has like been subject to relationship gender roles. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I don't know if I feel like it humanizes her because I think that like, I mean, I guess maybe from the sense that even the best of us can fall into hierarchy and even the best of us can fall into gender normativity and being a feminist doesn't always mean that you make the the like perfect feminist choice 100% of the time because we live in an imperfect world and are dealing with an imperfect set of circumstances and sometimes you have to make the the choice that feels best to you in the moment um so yeah i don't know if it's like humanizing or if it's first it's not even that I, or if I think that it's harmful, I think that it's more just, if anything is humanizing about her, it is her relationship with Jesus and the fact that sometimes it makes her throw her ideals away because like, I think that is true of relationships, but I guess it doesn't feel like uniquely specific to her character so much as it's just like a commentary to me on how how relationships can go sometimes and it typically takes its toll on the female identifying person in that relationship if it's heteronormative i think it was hard for me to read though at the same time like part of me is glad that it was depicted right because then it's like okay well then it's okay for me to make these same choices too sometimes but at the same time it was hard for me because as we were talking about a little bit earlier just like a second ago Maeve is a Mary Sue right like she is an aspirational character and 
it's hard to see somebody so strong and and so glorious make the like little herself right and and that's a part of the story that's a part of her sacred story is that she is the one who anoints him and i don't know how to feel about that because i feel like this book and i do think it it gets better later i think that made as a deity grows uh and throughout the series of, of these books. But like, by the end of this book, she's not really a deity. She's the one who supported Jesus. And I just don't know, because we were invested in her story from the beginning, and because like, we're told this story through her perspective, I really don't know how I feel about that. I think too, there's the complication of what you were talking about which is that Cunningham at, at this section of the novel also had to work within more constraints of what happened in the Bible. And I wonder if part of this happens because of the story of, you know, Mary Magdalene and Jesus at, on a biblical level and whether if Cunningham had the choice to really just write the story, however she wanted to, whether she would have made that same decision for Maeve. I don't know the answer to that, but I do wonder if that's a consideration in all of this from, like, a storytelling craft standpoint. I think to answer your question, I do think it humanizes her. Because I, I think that, especially from a 21st century feminist standpoint, there's lots of ways in which I think society asks you, ultimately, and, like, conditions and gender normativity will occasionally ask you to make the feminist choice or make the easy choice or make the choice that will make you happy because sometimes those two things aren't like congruous not to totally derail the conversation but like on a personal level you know when I made the decision to move to Washington for example I think that you could argue that that wasn't the feminist choice I was moving partially for my career but I could have had better more advantageous career choices elsewhere but the choice that made me happy was to come here with my husband because my relationship makes me happy and that was something I really had to wrestle with because I knew that I was going to take my career on a different path and that there was part of it that was doing that was making that decision for a man essentially and I think that it's useful to watch a character like this struggle with some of those decisions too, because we live in, like I was saying, you know, we live in an imperfect society with imperfect conditions. And because of that, I think the most just choice, the most righteous choice often isn't the easy one or even the one that will make you happiest long-term, which I think says more about the fucked up conditions that we're forced to navigate than it does you as a person. But it is hard to read when you see a character who is so aspirational suffer under these same conditions and these same considerations. But I think it's also useful and ultimately not harmful. Again, not to beat a dead horse, but because she ends up being able to break away from that. And you really get the sense at the end of this book that she's about to really blossom into her own person. And that to a certain extent, Jesus was holding her back, which uh, I'm not even religious and that feels sacrilegious to say, <laughs> but I, I think is like a really deep and profound truth yeah. too, at least in the novel, you know? And 
yeah, I don't know. I think it's okay to make imperfect decisions uh, given the data that you have if you think what you're going to do is going to make you happy. And I think, too, it's easy to judge from the outside, right? Maeve didn't go into this knowing that she was going to ultimately belittle herself. Yeah. Part, that, part of the reason she had reservations about it was because she was worried that was going to happen, but that wasn't her intention. She made choices specifically to fight against that. So I think it's also hard to judge her in that aspect because she was just doing the best that she could to live the happiest life she could. I agree. I guess I'm still not satisfied, though, because this book, the whole philosophy of, the, of this book and the whole philosophy of Maeve as a character is right to always choose love. And I think that's a good philosophy i guess what this book shows us is how complicated that choice can be especially given other conditions and that's the thing so like Maeve sometimes still feels aspirational to me making this choice because she's like choosing love and like that's ultimately what matters but in reality right that love ends up belittling her um in a lot of ways and like inhibiting her from being her full best self and I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So I don't know. I, I guess like we still choose it anyway. I, I just, it, it doesn't always have to be romantic love. I, I don't know. Where, what am I coming away from this with? What philosophy I think, can I take from this? <laughs> I think questions, right? Like, I don't think that this is, I think just questions is what you're supposed to take away from it. I think that you're really supposed to question whether Maeve made the right choice and whether Maeve could have taken another path and if she had taken a different path would jesus's jesus's path have been different i think that i don't know i think that if elizabeth cunningham had the answer to that question she would have won the nobel peace prize by now because i think that she wouldn't have because she's writing about a whore and it's sacrilege she wouldn't have maggie society won't let her no one knows about this book yeah, sure. But she also still doesn't have the answer to that question. Like, I think that that's uh, one of those age-old questions, like, what do you follow and what do you get when you follow love? And is that always the best path? Because that's what Jesus preaches. That's what Maeve preaches. But look what it gets both of them, dead and belittled. So is that actually the best path? I think it I think it leaves room for you as the reader to start questioning those larger philosophical questions for yourself. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I'm I sorry she doesn't have the answer, but I don't I don't know maybe that anyone she does. does. Maybe we'll get her on the podcast. Who Elizabeth knows? Elizabeth Cunningham, please please tell me what what how what criteria should I be making my decisions using? I I need to know. I want to know the the secret to life. Um, okay. I think that's, I think that's everything. I, I know I didn't pull any quotes. I had them. I had them at the ready, but I feel, I feel satisfied with our conversation. What about you, Maggie? Me too. Me too. Overall, this was a really, really good book. And I'm actually quite excited to continue on with the series. <gasps> I'm going like, to continue on with the series after this as well. So I, I look forward to your thoughts. Um, is this not on the spot? podcast, though. You guys are all going to have to guess how we feel about the rest of the series. <laughs> yeah, we're not reading it on the podcast. No, no. Just, it would just... take too much time. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, yes, I think that this is absolutely 100% a feminist book. Even with this detour taken at the end, this is ultimately about one woman knowing her power, knowing her worth, and fighting at every turn to 
be able to live a life that honors that. I agree. I was surprised at the progressiveness of this this feminist book because you know we are reading a white author and it like uh, with a white character the one caveat where i think that it could like do a little bit better to fit uh modern day feminist ideals like many pagan authors this book comes off a little gender essentialist at times in terms of like placing spirituality so in the future i hope that people who are inspired by this book and inspired by these themes look at feminine and masculine ideals and traits in a more holistic light yeah i agree homework what do you oh yeah homework what's your homework for this week oh you asked me first damn uh i really want to work on community building actually which is a a strange thing so just a little background for everyone (laughs) i kind of like don't feel comfortable and communities in general, because I moved around a lot as a child and interacting with people who don't 100% love me and who I don't know 100% love me gives me giant social anxiety. But community building is really useful for being able to implement things like communist values, right? Or anti-capitalist values and neighborly love and in order for like creating a more safe and sustainable environment. And I think because in my adult life, I've been so transient, it hasn't, and now live in New York City, it hasn't been something I've really felt like I needed to focus on. But now that COVID is on the decline, and I'm I'm talking about this because I think this is a huge theme within the novel, right? Maeve is constantly talking about her cambregos, and Jesus is, and Maeve are constantly taking in strays, essentially. Uh, so... I think that now that COVID is finally hopefully letting up soon, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a vaccine appointment scheduled. I'm going to try and focus more on like being a part of my community and being a voice in my community and interacting with people who don't a hundred percent love me um, so that I can like better my community and contribute to it a little bit more. What about you, Miss Mags? What a good question. I don't know. I had a rough week. (laughs) So so there's definitely part of me that feels like my homework is just like survive and wait for a better week if we're being honest about it. And sometimes you got to be, sometimes you got to take, you got to put your mask on first. But I think that if I were to have homework this week, it will probably be kind of low hanging fruit because of that. I just don't have very much time or energy to devote to a lot of activist work this week. So I think that my homework for realsies is gonna be to i've been meaning to set up a little neighborhood box um for like weeks now there's a lot of people who experience homelessness who have sort of settled transiently in my neighborhood and not everyone where I live is particularly kind to them. So I wanted to set up a little, you know, take care, taking care of my neighbors. I wanted to just, you know, set up a little take what you need box. And I have all this stuff and have just been so zonked <laughs> the past couple of weeks that it hasn't actually made it outside yet. So I think that my goal for this week is to just do that little act of, of, of like neighborly community building kindness and make sure that that actually gets outside and start serving people um and hope that my landlord doesn't notice because i'm not allowed but that's fine that's beautiful maggie what a great idea all right uh, what are you reading 
am I reading? I'm reading The Memory of All Souls by Jen Lyons. And I am reading, I am also reading Real Life by Brendan Taylor. What are you reading? I'm not reading anything because last night I finished A Duke, A Lady, and a Baby. And I just finished this book. So we will see. <laughs> TBD next week, which uh, I guess that's a great segue. Next week, we're reading some poetry, but most importantly, we've got on a couple of guests uh, to talk about AAPI hate and how we can fight that. So tune in for a useful and informative time and hopefully probably a fun time. These are all, these people are also our friends. So, you know, I mean, or at least one of them is my friend <laughs> and Harmony's friend. And the other one is also Harmony's friend. <laughs> I'm going to meet a new person. This is a fucking mess. I should stop talking now. He's excited to meet you. I'm, I'm sure he's uh, been, he's listened to the podcast and has been awed by you before. You've also given him book recommendations. So it's like Have you I? him. Yes. <laughs> Um, so we've got one person I'm already friends with and one person I'll be friends with by the end of tomorrow. Two people Harmony already knows. And our mutual friend promised to do a um, bong hit on air, so. She did? Yeah, so I, I'm assuming that's it's going to be fun. So. <laughs> uh, the poem The poem we're reading, just so everyone knows, is Barbie Chang Got Her Hair Done. And it is by Victoria Chang. Yeah. That's true. All of this is true. I'm so sorry that you have to edit this mess. It's okay. Is that all, folks? I think that's all, folks. Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app. You can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash RGBC and clicking the support this podcast button. Our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to medium.com slash rebel-girls-book-club and clicking read along. You can follow us at RGBC Pod on Instagram at Rebel Girls Book Club, on Facebook at Rebel Girls Book One, on Twitter. And you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously.